Hi, you're listening to the podcast of First Presbyterian Church in Ogden, Utah. My name is John Draskovic. I'm the pastor here. And what you'll hear is the message, the sermon from the week's worship before. And uh, you can always check out the full service that has the music and our prayers and liturgy on our YouTube channel. If you go to YouTube, you can just search First Presbyterian Church Ogden and you can find us there. We've got all our services recorded, including the, the most recent um, live stream of our, of our service. I hope you enjoy this podcast and you find it to be a blessing. Grace and peace to you in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Welcome to the worship from September, October, oh boy. Uh, We're talking from September 17th. And this week we've got a guest pastor, uh, Pastor Bob Nakaoka, who's going to be guiding us through John chapter 12. And so we'll get to hear what he lifts up. And I was actually out of town, and so I haven't heard it myself. So it'll be a surprise to me, just as much as it is to you, what what we get to hear about. Uh, But I'm looking forward to Pastor Bob's great guy, and he always uh, brings a a good word to us. So may this this next 20, 25 minutes be one that builds you up in the Lord. Well, it's good to be back here again and hear Bobby lead the singing and to... um... Uh, lead worship in the way he does. Such a, uh, just a joy to praise God in that way. You know, John called me and asked me to do all of John 12. So it's going gonna, it's gonna to be fast, but I'll just hit some of the main points. But if you'll turn to John 12, um, you can fill in the gaps this week as you uh, do a review and um, catch up on that uh, passage. So he's in the mountains hiking in the Uintas today. And so I get the joy of being with you today. Did you know that I paid my way through seminary by being a drug pusher? (laughs) Kind of tough, huh? Well, I I worked some Saturdays, evenings, uh, summer vacations for a community pharmacy back in Colorado, you know, as a pharmacist, pushing drugs legally. (laughs) Uh, You know, my manager back then, He talked about being a Christian. He talked about going to church regularly on Sundays. And yet, working with him was a challenge. He would lie to his customers, uh, you know, when they had a delivery of a prescription. He would say, yeah, yeah, the prescription should be there momentarily. When, in fact, the delivery boy hadn't even come to work yet. (laughs) And then there was the paycheck situation. You know, I was due a paycheck, you know, two or three weeks back, and he would say, oh, yeah, it's in the mail. And I knew that he hadn't even cut the check yet. He did the same with some of his suppliers as well, waiting for their payments. Sunday Christians. Attending worship service and may help a little bit on Sundays, but what happens on Monday? What are they like on Monday? That applies to us, too. Maybe to not that extent, but what are we like on Tuesday or Thursday or Saturday? Another way to ask that question is, who is Jesus to you and to me? And knowing that, what is our response to Jesus? Or what do we believe about Jesus? And how do we act upon that belief? Well, let's start with Mary and Martha. Uh, You remember them from last week in chapter 11. 
Now, at the end of chapter 11, Jesus, after raising Lazarus from the dead, now Lazarus is Mary and Martha's brother, the Jewish leadership is just mad at Jesus. They're out to get him. They want to put him to death, get rid of him in some way. And so Jesus hid from them for a little bit. He went up to Ephraim, about 15 miles to the north of Jerusalem, and taught his disciples during those few weeks before the Passover would come, the last Passover. And so here in John chapter 12, 1 through 3, Jesus arrives at Bethany six days before Passover. So it's Saturday. And here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. And it says here that Martha served. Now Martha, in this passage, not a lot has talked about her, but you can tell that from her experience in chapter 10 of Luke, she's learned her lesson. She was trying to micromanage her sister Mary and being so worried about serving. And she loved serving, but she was, you know, just um, discouraged and wondering what would Mary do? How could she get the dinner ready? And so she talked to Jesus about it. But Jesus told her about the joy in serving him. And she learned from that. And her attitude changed. So here Martha is serving for the Lord with joy in her heart. And her sister Mary does something amazing. When back in chapter 10 of Luke, Mary is sitting at Jesus' feet, learning from him, from his teaching. And now she worships him. She takes a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume, and she poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped it with her hair. And the uh, the other synoptics, Matthew and Mark, talk about this woman anointing Jesus on his head as well. What an act of worship, giving of her heart and her life. In fact, this perfume cost about a year's worth of wages for the average laborer of that day. Amazing. Giving this type of gift to God himself. Simple faith. Maybe a childlike faith, maybe something that we can learn from too. She believed in him, and she responded in service as Martha did, and Mary in worship and giving. And then Sunday arrives. And here on Palm Sunday that we celebrate, there's a different type of faith amongst the people there. In verses 12 through 19, we see Jesus riding into Jerusalem on a donkey. And the people are waving palm branches and uh, singing, blessed is the king of Israel. And the waving of palm branches, of course, means that they're um, welcoming a dignitary, a military, a political leader parading into town, wishing him well. Because many had come there to see Jesus because they had seen him raise Lazarus from the dead. They had seen other miracles that Jesus had performed. And so they saw Jesus as this new type of savior who would somehow provide freedom for them from Roman rule. And they probably remembered uh, Judah Maccabee almost 200 years before, a Jewish priest who successfully led a rebellion against the Seleucids. And so they wanted to support a man like this. Yet, was this the type of faith that Jesus wanted to see in these people? 
And what happened to their belief in him as the week, the Passion Week, wore on, leading to his death? When he told the crowds, you know, his goal was more spiritual than military or political victory. And what about the disciples? They're kind of in the middle of all this. They're seeing the sights. They're seeing the joy of the people. And yet they're, they're knowing that the, the Pharisees are out to kill them and Jesus. They see the plot. Kind of reminds me of this song back in the 80s um, called Stuck in the Middle with Me. Now, I know the intent of the song is a little different, but it really applies to these disciples because they're, they're stuck in the middle. Clowns to the left. Joker's on the right. I'm stuck in the middle with you. And I'm wondering what I should do. So here's, here are these disciples. They're stuck in the middle. You know, they see these, these uh, clowns on the left, these Pharisees, the Jewish leaders out to, to bring them down. They see, the, they see the, the jokers on the right, these people, the crowds that just want a piece of Jesus in them. You know, they want to be, they want to be fed. They want a miracle. They want this. They want that. Stuck in the middle. And yet Jesus' disciples have been hearing this message, walking with Jesus for almost three years. And, and they viewed their master in a different way. They had this nascent faith in Jesus that was growing, but they didn't know what to make of it. In verse 16, John says, at first his disciples did not understand all of this. It was only after Jesus was glorified that they realized that all these things that had been written about him, the prophecies from the Old Testament, the things done to him, would come to pass. And so they were probably wondering at this particular moment, king, like the people were saying, or sacrificial lamb, like in John chapter 10. What would they do? And yet, their faith was still growing. Jesus was working through them. And then in our next scene, we enter, the enter, we see entering the Greeks, the Gentile God-fearers or God-seekers. Now, these were people that were non-Jews that had come to Jerusalem to celebrate not only the Passover, but the festival of the unleavened bread. Uh, they wanted to worship and celebrate with the Jews. They wanted to learn more about God and his ways. And so they've heard about Jesus. So they asked Philip, who's one of Jesus' disciples, can we have an audience with Jesus? And then so Philip goes to Andrew, and Andrew and Philip then go to Jesus and ask him, you know, that these Greeks want an audience with you. Now, we don't know from Scripture whether Jesus had a direct talk with him or not, but it did trigger in Jesus that his time of his passion was at hand. And now the message that Jesus had been given is starting to be open not only to the Jews, but now to the non-Jews, the Gentiles, these God-fearers beyond Israel to the Gentiles of the known world. And so Jesus helps these disciples understand a little bit more about his mission and how to get unstuck from the middle. So the disciples need more instruction how to understand what's going on, to grow in their faith. And that's when Jesus said to the disciples in verse 16, the hour has come. The hour has come 
for the Son of Man to be glorified. Up until now, when Jesus performed a miracle or he had a message that kind of irritated the, the Jewish authorities, he hid from them. It wasn't his time yet, but now it's time. His hour has come. He sees the end coming. His time is at hand for his crucifixion, his resurrection and glorification, when he would ascend to the Father and be with him in heaven. Philippians 2, 8 through 11 says this, that Jesus humbled himself and became obedient to death, even on the cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that's above every other name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And so Jesus explains what this crucifixion is going to be all about, his death, starting in verse 24, if you look in your Bibles. I tell you the truth. Unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces much fruit. In other words, this kernel of wheat, if you just let it sit there and you just look at it, you sit it on the, on the shelf and you say, oh yeah, it's going to turn into wheat. No, it's not. You've got to put it in the ground, let it die, and let it produce the plant and other plants. What a great harvest of fruit it'll be. And just like Jesus with the seed. His death will provide a great harvest of souls that will find eternal life. His death is necessary for the generation of new life. And he explains this further in verse 25. The person who loves his life will lose it, while a person who hates his or her life on this world, in this world, will keep it for eternal life. And so life here indicates those people who are self-seeking. You know, those ones that prioritize temporal worldly values, success, stature, position, money. John writes in his letter, 1 John chapter 2, don't love the world or anything in it. For anyone who loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him or her. For everything in the world, the cravings of sinful man or woman, the lust of his eyes or her eyes, the boasting of what he or she um, does or has, does not come from the Father, but from the world and its values. The world and its desires will pass away, but the man who does the will of God lives forever. So the love of this self-serving worldly life leads to what? Separation eternally from God, whereas hatred, or, you know, that seems like a tough word, but it's that, you know, you put the worldly, temporal, pleasure-seeking, successful type of lifestyle on the back burner. That's not what you want in your life. You want something that pleases God. And if you do that in believing in Jesus, you will see that eternal life ahead of you. And that's what Jesus is saying right now. And so we told his disciples and us today that we're not to give in to the self-interest, the self-edification of this world. Instead, seek God's glory in all that we do and say. In other words, we're to please God in the way we live our lives. We should walk in the light of Jesus, not just on Sundays, but 24-7. 
just like we saw in the life of Mary. He tells us in verse 26, whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servants will also be. Just like, just like Martha, it's somebody that's following Jesus. We can serve, you know, do good things on this earth, but the, if we're not doing it in Jesus' name, we're not doing it as a servant of Jesus. And so he said, my father will honor the one who serves me. And that's really Martha in what she's doing. She's glorifying God in her service for him. And so Jesus, knowing that his time has come to die for the sin of the world, he's praying to the Father, and he says, Father, glorify your name. And then a voice came from heaven. As he's praying, God answers him. His Father talks to him and says, I've glorified it, and I'm going to glorify it again. And the people heard that. Some thought it was thunder. Some thought it was an angel. But Jesus had their attention because he says, this voice is for your benefit, not mine. Now is the time for judgment. Now the prince of the world will be driven away, driven out. In other words, his death on the cross will take away the sin of the world. Jesus doesn't want us to be Sunday Christians. He doesn't want that type of faith where the people follow you know, well, I, I saw this miracle worker. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to follow him. Popularity. Maybe it's in these days, music or, or musical singer or a sporting figure. Food is served. We come and we enjoy. Jesus wants our faith to be more than that, more than political victories. So Jesus tells his disciples in the crowd the what and why of the cross, why we should believe in Jesus it's the Lamb of God. So verse 33 says, But I, when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. He said this to show the type of death that he's going to die. And so the crowd spoke up. They said, well, wait, wait a minute. Wait a minute here, Jesus. That's not the type of person that we want as our uh, Messiah, Savior, because we've heard from the law that the Christ, the Messiah, you know, he's supposed to remain forever. So how can you say the Son of Man must be lifted up? Notice, why should he die? Who is this Son of Man? The people don't get it. In other words, how can the Messiah die? You know, he's supposed to be like a God, uh, eternal in a sense. They remember passages from what we call the Old Testament, their Bible, from, the, from like Psalm, that, that he was to be a priest forever, or from Isaiah, his government will never end, or his dominion will never end. It will be everlasting in Daniel. In a sense, they're on the right track because Jesus, the word of God, is eternal. But they didn't understand or know that Jesus is also fully human, <laughs> that the word became flesh and came to dwell amongst them. They didn't understand that the mission that God the Father had sent Jesus the Messiah to accomplish was to die on that cross so many could find new life. Remember John 1? John the Baptist there proclaimed that Jesus was the Lamb of God who would take away the sin of the world. And so Jesus did that by paying the penalty for our sins, yours and mine, by his death. And yet Jesus, the Son of God, and when you think about that, he had to be divine to be powerful enough to take away our sins. 
Remember during the life of Jesus there, as he would perform a miracle and, he, and the people would say, ah, anybody could do that. And he says, well, what about forgiving sins? I forgive you of your sins, Jesus said. And the Pharisees said, oh, no, 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 only God can do that. Well, Jesus is God. And so he's powerful enough to forgive sins, to forgive our sins. But he's also fully human so that he could shed blood and pay the price of atonement for our sins. That's our Jesus, the incarnate God-man. So the disciples and the people, including us, we need to put our total trust in Jesus because as verse 35 says, you're going to have the light just a little longer in you. Walk while you have the light before darkness overtakes you. The person who walks in the dark does not know where he's going. Put your trust in the light while you have it so that you may become sons and daughters of light. We learn that Jesus is the light of the world in chapters 8 and 9. And so he came that we might live in the light of God, not the darkness of the world. We just have to trust him. In other words, put our faith in Jesus as a light that lights our lives. Unfortunately, as we look at the next scene, verses 37 through 50, many in Jesus' day, even today, they've chosen the way of darkness. It says, verse 37, even after Jesus had done all these miraculous signs, you know, signs that would point the way to him as the light of the world. They saw that in Jesus, but they still wouldn't believe in him. They wouldn't put their trust in him. They had the facts. They saw the miracles. They heard the message from God, but their self-pride and their need to maintain the status quo of keeping the rules and the traditions hindered them from following the light that could give them eternal life. Maybe they were like my pharmacy boss, Sunday Christians, or priesters. Ever heard of that word, priester? Well, that's a word that I heard from people at a church I used to pastor at, one of the churches. And they said that priesters are those that only come at Christmas, Cree, and Easter, stir, priester. And so, <laughs> so these people would, would come for the Christmas program because, you know, that's a family tradition. Or, you know, out of obligation, I've got to go. Not because Christianity had any importance in their lives. In contrast, Jesus calls us to believe and to respond from the depths of our hearts. We're to live out our faith seven days a week, not just Sundays or holidays. Remember Mary's heart of worship for her master and savior, Jesus, that we should be like Martha and Mary, giving and serving God 24-7. Let's pray. Lord, thank you. Thank you for John, the disciple of Jesus, writing about his life, about how we can believe, not just be Sunday Christians. You know, it's, it, we probably aren't like this pharmacy boss. We're more involved. But then when I think of my own life, Lord, I think of those Tuesdays and Thursdays and Saturdays, what I don't give you my all. I don't make you my Lord. You know, I make certain decisions 
I don't make you my savior when I say hurtful things. Lord, help us to fully believe in you and to respond in a way that glorifies you. We just ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thank you for taking your time and spending it with us here at First Presbyterian Church. We would love to have you come and visit with us or uh, shoot us an email. Go to our website, www.fpcogden.org, if you'd like to get in touch with us. Love to hear from you. Know that you're listening. Know that this has made an impact in your life. And if it has, I'd encourage you to uh, help and support the ministry here at First Presbyterian Church. It takes financial giving to make this church run and to make this podcast run and to make our live stream run. And so you can go to the website and you can uh, you can give financially and help support us that way. You could always go to our YouTube channel and you just look up uh, First Presbyterian Church Ogden in YouTube and you can check out all of our live streams. They're under the little live tab on the on the channel there. And of course, we're here every Sunday morning at 10 a.m. And you're welcome to join us if you're in Ogden. Uh, please do. 880 28th Street. And uh, we look forward to seeing you and come introduce yourself to us if, if you can. All right. Well, grace and peace to you. And we'll see you back here next week. Enjoy.